Russell, Texas, Bentley, an American communist living in eastern Ukraine who is fighting alongside the Ukrainian separatists there. Russell, thank you for joining me on the radio. Thanks for having me again, Frank. Good to be talking to you again. Where am I, uh, where am I speaking to you now, Russell? Uh, I'm in the city of Donetsk, which is the capital of the Donetsk People's Republic, uh, formerly part of southeastern Ukraine. Uh, for the last seven years, uh, we've been an independent republic. Uh, we have our own army, our own government, our own cops. You know, so we're we're completely separate from Ukraine now. Now, Russell, I do want to do a, another interview with you where we go in depth in terms of your background, but I just want to give some listeners a little bit of uh, a little bit of brief perspective. Now, you're an American. You're from Texas. Um, how and why did you end up in Ukraine? Well. As you said, I am a communist. Uh, I was born in 1960, so I was growing up in the days of the Vietnam War, uh, you know, the 60s and 70s. Um, I started uh, reading about, well, actually, I lived in Dallas when JFK was killed. So even though I was only three and a half years old, I remember it. And it, it had a big effect on me as far as wondering what was really going on behind the scenes. Growing up, uh, looking at the news reports from Vietnam, uh, I started uh, going to the library. I was a voracious reader as a kid, and I started reading books by uh, Ho Chi Minh, you know, who was the leader of the uh, Vietnamese resistance to the French and U.S. occupation. You know, what he what he was saying made a lot of sense. You know, they were people that were defending their own homes, their own families, their own country against foreign military invaders. So... You know, I started uh, reading uh, Ho Chi Minh, Che Guevara from Cuba, and uh, it made a big impact on me. You know, uh, and when I was 21 years old, I joined the U.S. Army, uh, spent a couple of years in Germany, a year at Fort Polk. I'm an honorably discharged veteran, and, uh, you know, I did my time in the U.S. Army and um, then just kept on thinking about it. In 1995, I went to Cuba for a month. To see what was the uh, sorry about that. That's all right. Uh, to see what was the uh, the deal over there, and uh, you know, and I understood what was going on. That you know, there are some governments in the world that really do put a uh, priority on the people's welfare instead of you know the one percent's welfare. When I saw what was going on in Yugoslavia when it was destroyed as a country by NATO in the 1990s. I saw what happened in, uh, you know, Afghanistan, Iraq with the fake WMDs. I saw what happened to uh, Libya, which was actually the country in Africa with the highest standard of living. Free medical, free housing, free education. In a lot of ways, they had it better than a lot of people in the United States do. And when that country was destroyed and Muammar Gaddafi was murdered, you know, it really made me, you know, angry and ashamed of what, my country, the USA, was doing around the world. And so when it started happening again in Ukraine, when I saw the Maidan was a complete, you know, staged color revolution, you know, backed and directed by the USA, you know, I knew that it wasn't going to be good for the people of Ukraine. And I felt an obligation, you know, as an American to show the people of Ukraine and the people of the world, you know, that not all Americans were okay with 
invading and destroying other countries only for, uh, you know, political or economic benefits to the USA. So I came here in 2014, got here in December 17th. Uh, December 7th was my first day in Donetsk. Uh, and uh, on New Year's Eve, I was uh, on the front on the combat position called the Monastery by the Donetsk airport. And I was in uh, some of the heaviest battles of this war. Now, there's a lot of questions based on everything that you said that I, I have. Uh, if people haven't followed the Ukraine situation that closely over the course of the last eight years, which I think is many Americans because the media coverage on this issue has been atrocious, very lacking and very one sided. If people don't know what Russell's talking about there, the Maidan uh, so-called color revolution, that's when a democratically elected president in Ukraine, Viktor Yanukovych was toppled in a coup d'etat, essentially, that was supported by the American government and uh, Poroshenko, a much more friendlier to America president, was installed. Um, but question just based on everything that you just said, and we're talking with Russell Texas Bentley. You could check out his website, RussellTexasBentley.com. If you're a communist, and I understand the uh, opposition to the war in Iraq, I understand the opposition to the Libyan situation. If you're a communist and you think so fondly of communism as an ideology and communist countries, why wouldn't you go to a communist country like Cuba, like Vietnam, like China? Why instead go to a country uh, in uh, Ukraine, which is not communist, and it borders another country, Russia, which is also not currently communist. Why wouldn't you go to a country that was a little bit more hospitable to the cause of communism? Well, uh, you make a good point there. And I have to say that the people of Donbass, the Don River Basin, which uh, includes southeast Ukraine and some of uh, southern Russia as well, uh, this and during the time of the Soviet Union, this area where I am now was considered the most staunchly communist area in all of the Soviet Union. And the people here still remember, still respect, you know, and of course, I understand that there's a lot of, you know, problems and drawbacks, uh, questionable things that were done by communists not just in Russia, but in other countries too. But the idea of communism, the idea of making a limit below which people do not live, the limit being that everybody has a place to live, everybody has medical care, everybody has enough food to eat and a decent job and education that goes as far as you know their abilities will allow, that they don't have to go broke for it, they don't have to go $100,000 in debt before they even get their first job. You know, these are ideals. And the the Communist Party in Russia is far from perfect, but there still is a Communist Party there. The Communist parties in the United States, you know, there's at least a dozen of them, and they're all pretty much a joke. You know, they're basically uh, mutual, mutual admiration societies and, uh, you know, th that have never done anything and never will. But the, the Communist Party here is serious. I was in a, a, a unit called the Essence of Time. It was a, uh, a communist, communist movement from Russia that sent volunteers here to fight on the front lines. And I was in that unit. And those are serious communists. And they're not, you know, 
about sitting around drinking vodka and talking about the good old days or, you know, playing some old songs or something. They're guys that really want to make a better world for everybody. Right. Those and are, I'm, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm not against, you know, I don't think that, you know, a street sweeper and a brain surgeon should get paid the same, but I think that there should be a limit on how poor any human being in a civilized society. Sure, sure. I, I, I'm not going to um, ask you to defend the merits of communism because uh, that is, uh, that, you know, that's above my pay grade and that's beyond the scope of the discussion that uh, that we're going to have. Now, before we get into what's happening in eastern Ukraine and the Donbass region now, um, you introduced yourself as um, being in Donetsk, the capital city of the People's Republic of Donetsk. Now, uh, the UN has not has not recognized Donetsk as an independent country. Ukraine does not recognize Donetsk as an independent country. The United States does not recognize Donetsk as an independent country. And from what I can tell, from what I understand, you can correct me if I'm wrong. Russia does not um, recognize Donetsk as an independent country. So at what point, if, if you guys in Donetsk are claiming you're a country, um, at what point does at least somebody have to agree with you? Well, and you are correct. Even Russia does not currently recognize the Donbass uh, republics. But that doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is what the people that live here recognize. Because we've stood up to the Ukrainian army, which is one of the biggest armies in the world, and we have fought them to a standstill. We have defended the idea of our republic with our own blood, sweat, and tears, and we continue to do so. So we don't ask the United Nations or even Russia or the United States or anybody else what the name of our republic is. We already know what it is, and the people that live here are the ones who are going to say what it is, and so we say what it is. What have you been seeing there recently? There have been reports that there are Russian troops amassing on the Russia-Ukraine border and that Vladimir Putin could be preparing an invasion to take back parts to take over parts of eastern Ukraine. What are you seeing there? Well, <clears throat> The Ukrainian army has uh, over 125,000 troops along the Donbass front, which is about 200 miles. And it includes the military front between the Lugansk and Donetsk People's Republics. And there's 125,000 troops along that line on the Ukrainian side. On our side, we have about 60,000. Um, you know, the Ukrainians, they have heavy artillery, they have tanks, they have aviation, they have rockets, they have missiles, they have all kinds of stuff that the U.S. and E.U. has given them, and uh, the training from the U.S. and E.U. how to use it. They, uh, they also have chemical and biological weapons. The Ukrainians do? Fact the Ukrainians? Confirmed by not only uh, the Russian Ministry of Defense, but also uh, by our intelligence agencies here. Um, there's, there's American and European mercenaries. There's also a very large contingent of ISIS terrorists that have moved out of Syria and have come and are now fighting alongside the Ukrainian army on the frontier. You know, these are genuine Nazis, Heil Hitler Nazis. These, uh, 
these Ukrainian uh, Pravi sector, Azov Battalion, Idar Battalion, these are guys with swastika tattoos that say Heil Hitler, uh, and they act like Nazis too. I mean, some of the war crimes that they themselves have videoed and posted in public, you know, I mean, it includes, uh, you know, hanging a, a, a DPR serviceman and his pregnant wife. Uh, it includes, uh, you know, sexual assault on prisoners. It includes carving swastikas in the backs of prisoners. And now, I want to be clear, a video. The, the people that are that are perpetuating these atrocities, these are the people that the American government is allied with right now. Exactly. That they're that they are arming, training, paying and directing and directing. Um, what is your view of the prospect of a rush, a, a Putin led Russian invasion of eastern Ukraine? Is this something that you would welcome? Is this something that you think is going to happen if um, r- the Russians try to invade Donetsk? Are you going to turn your weapons from pointing at the Ukrainian army and turn it towards the Russian army? No, no. First of all, um, okay, you understand, as I just said, that the Ukrainian army is well, actually Ukraine, the country of Ukraine now that's fighting against the Donbass republics is occupied by a foreign occupier, and that's the United States. The U.S. government and the U.S. CIA give orders to the Ukrainian government and the Ukrainian military. They don't have any say in what goes on. The U.S. says jump. The Ukrainians don't come down till they tell them to come down. So actually, Ukraine is already occupied. If Russia comes in, it will only be because they're forced to, to defend. You know, the, in the Donetsk republics, there's over half a million people that now have Russian citizenship. So if the Ukrainians, along this 200 mile front, 125,000 soldiers, if they come in again like they did or tried to back in 2014 and 2015, you know, to basically commit genocide, the Russians will come in and stop that. And it won't be an invasion. It'll be a liberation from the foreign occupation that Ukraine is already under. And they're going to come in and, you know, it's going to be, you know, it's going to be like, uh, South Ossetia back in 2008 in Georgia. You know, it's going to be a weekend affair and uh, lunch in Kiev on Monday. The Russian army is <clears throat> the most, you know, efficient and 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 uh, deadly army in the world right now. I mean, even though the United States spends 10 times as much on their military, the Russians can handle Ukraine in a weekend and they can handle the U.S. and NATO in a month. And that's just, I mean, that's not my opinion. That's what, you know, every serious military analyst in the world already understands, including the ones in the, in the Pentagon and the USA, which is why, you know, which is why Biden and NATO and the EU have already specifically said, even if Russia comes into Ukraine, they're not going to fight. Let me uh, play for you what the U.S. Secretary of State, Tony Blinken, said yesterday on one of the Sunday's shows. I believe this was on CBS Face the Nation, although it could have been CNN as well. He was uh, all over the place. Uh, this is uh, Tony Blinken yesterday. We are not waiting. We are doing a lot right now. And as I mentioned, 
uh, the United States taking the lead in bringing countries um, throughout Europe and even beyond together in putting together massive consequences for Russia if it takes uh, renewed aggressive action uh, in Ukraine. As I mentioned, uh, we're providing, uh, and last year alone, provided more military assistance to Ukraine than at any year uh, in the past. Uh, we have been uh, going against those inside Ukraine, trying to destabilize the, mm-hmm. uh, the government. So we're taking concrete action. But when you're, not, san- but you're not imposing to- the sanctions. So yeah. when it comes to sanctions, um, the, the purpose of those sanctions is to deter uh, Russian aggression. Uh, and so if they're, uh, if they're triggered now, you lose the deterrent effect. All of the things that we're doing, including uh, building up in a united way with Europe, massive consequences for Russia, is designed to factor into President Putin's calculus and to dis- deter and dissuade them from taking aggressive action, you- even as we pursue diplomacy at the same time. Russell, I guess you're one of the people that Tony Blinken is referring to there as trying to destabilize the government within Ukraine. Tell me um, if Blinken and Biden follow through on their threatened response of uh, increasing aid, lethal aid to Ukrainian, which I guess to the Ukrainian army, which will have the very real world effect of uh, potentially more Russian troops dying than otherwise would and more people like you and your Ukrainian separatist brethren dying than otherwise would. What do you think the actual real world implication of American sanctions and increased American aid to the Ukrainian military would be? Well, you know, first of all, Blinken is is such a twerp. I mean, he's uh, he's from the same caliber as Biden. And, you know, I mean, one thing I'm glad about is that I don't live in the United States anymore because I would probably die of embarrassment to have clowns like that representing me. First of all, the U.S. is already sending lethal aid, has been for years, continues to. In fact, they've ramped it up since Russia gave this recent uh, final peace offering to the U.S. and to NATO and the EU. Uh, there's coming in more and more every day. And it's funny, too, uh, the British just sent in a couple of thousand anti-tank rockets um, that are uh, they're 20 years old. The shelf life on them is 20 years. So they have to be used this year or else, you know, they'll be like beyond their use by date and dangerous to use. So there's all kinds of things coming in, not just military aid, not just ammo, stuff like that, uh, not only from the U.S., but from EU countries as well. NATO countries as well, but the U.S. is flying uh, reconnaissance missions uh, multi-times a day, not with just with drones, but with, uh, you know, the C-130 uh, AWACS planes uh, all along the front, all along uh, Crimea, all along Kaliningrad, all along the Russian border. And uh, basically, they're already doing everything they can. They've already done almost every uh economic sanction that they can do. They've already done it. Russia is not afraid of NATO or the U.S. or Ukraine militarily or sanction-wise. I mean, actually, if, you know, I mean, and it's funny, too, because one of the, you know, the nuclear option of the economic sanctions that these clowns were talking about was uh, to disconnect Russia from the SWIFT banking system. And you know what? First of all, Russia is ready for that. They've already created their own interbank international system. And second of all, the EU has already come out and said they're not going along with it. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you know, these are these are, you know, punks that are talking big, but they got nothing to back it up with. It and, is it is know, if 
it, it is interesting. The one thing in America that – well, one of the few things I should say that both the Democrats and the Republicans seem to agree upon in Washington is saber-rattling towards Russia and demonizing Putin and the current Russian government. Tony Blinken is a secretary of state in a Democratic administration. But another person on the Sunday shows who had very – harsh words for Russia and Putin was a Republican senator from Iowa, Joni Ernst. This is what she said yesterday. We do need to fight for democracy and understanding that Putin's goal is to retain some of what he had during the Soviet era, that power and control to expand his reaches across Europe. We know that if he's able to go into Ukraine and there's very little pushback from the United States or from NATO, it allows him to move into other countries in Eastern Europe. And we know that when when Soviet Union expands as as he wants to see it, it's, you know, a new form of the Soviet Union. As it expands, uh, democracy will constrict. It is important that we step up for our allies in Europe. Um, when democracy is stable, that means our troops, our citizens are much more safe. So this is a concern to our constituents. We need to make sure that democracy is prevailing around the globe and that socialism, communism, the old Soviet Union is not regaining territory. So Joni Ernst says uh, that in order to fight for democracy, we need to stand up against Russia here and make sure they not only don't go into Ukraine, but uh, they don't go into other Eastern European countries. She's essentially saying to Biden and the Democrats, I'll see your Russia bluster and I'll raise you even more Russia blusters. Joni Ernst right there, Russell. No, she's she's actually so stupid that it makes my teeth hurt just to listen to her. I mean, the thing is, you know, she's talking about democracy, you know, and I don't know if, you know, people listening to this show happen to remember the last presidential election in the United States. But, you know, for an American politician to talk about democracy uh, anywhere else in the world makes a laughing stock of America. You know, I'm, I hate to say it, but that's really true. You know, the Russians are not expanding. You understand that the borders of Russia now have in the Baltics, uh, Latvia, Estonia, um, Lithuania, these are NATO countries exactly on Russia's borders. Russia is not expanding anywhere. They're just saying that we cannot any longer uh, tolerate, you know, NATO's expansion. You know, in 1990, when the USSR allowed Germany to reunite, they were given guarantees that NATO would not expand eastward. You know, and there's been like 20 more countries that have joined NATO since then that have all been to the east, you know. And so it's not Russia expanding. That's that's abject hypocrisy and a, a total lie to to use the phrase Russian expansion. It is NATO expansion all the way up to Russia's borders. They have nowhere else to retreat, you know, and basically Russia is just the large version of what we in the Donetsk People's Republic have. You know, the front line of the Ukrainian army is, is less than five miles from my house. You understand there's there's rockets, there's cannons, there's tanks, there's snipers that do work, that do shoot frequently. I mean, there's shellings happen in my neighborhood, not every day, but probably about half of the days in a month. You know, and some of them, I mean, all of them close enough for me to hear 
some of them close enough for me to smell. You understand? So these guys are already here. They're on the front line. There's no place for us to retreat. There's no place for Russia to retreat. You know, and the thing is, these Ukrainians that are backed by the U.S. and NATO, they fly Nazi flags on their positions, genuine swastika, red Nazi flags. And, you know, it's like, you know, if some dude goes walking down, you know, in front of a synagogue in New York City with a Nazi flag, you know, that's going to have a serious effect on Jewish people that see that and understand that, you know, you talk about six million Jews. How about 25 million Russians that were murdered by the German mm. Nazis under a swastika flag? And now they're back again, you know, and it's it's five miles from my house. And it's 50 miles to the Russian border from here. Russell, so final Russia's question. Russia's not expanding anywhere. I have to run, but I have to get your answer to this response, this question. Now, the the thing I find interesting about you defending Putin on YouTube, and again, we're talking with Russell Texas Bentley. We can you can go to his website, RussellTexasBentley.com, and to some extent in this radio interview, is that Putin is considered within Russia a staunch anti-communist. The Communist Party is usually the leading party running a candidate against Putin. Let me ask you, if Putin and Russia goes forward with this invasion of the Donbass region, you refer to it as a liberation, will you still try to keep Donetsk independent as a, a republic, as its own independent country, or will you happily rejoin with with Russia? Well, I think the Donetsk People's Republic will always uh, have a, a very high degree of autonomy. Um, I don't think we're going to join Russia. I think when Russia liberates Ukraine, uh, that a friendly government will come to power one way or the other. Ukraine will also uh, maintain its independence, but it won't be either controlled by uh, U.S. or NATO or neo-Nazis. So... Personally, a lot of people here, you know, I mean, we thank Russia for the help that they've given us. If it wasn't for their support, you know, we would no longer exist here. But uh, at the same time, you know, we're, we're proud of our own heritage here, our own uh, independence, and uh, we hope to keep it as much as possible. Well, uh, Russ, we're going to have to end it there. I very much appreciate the time this morning. Stay safe. I will look forward to our la our next conversation. Something tells me we're going to be uh, speaking a great deal in the coming weeks and months. All right, bro. Anytime, and thank you very much, Frank. Good luck to all good people. May God protect the innocent, and may the rest of us get everything we deserve. Absolutely. Thank you, uh, Russell, uh, Russell, Texas Bentley. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com.